It's Thursday, November the 19th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Pfizer's vaccine looks even better, and New York closes schools. First, the world in brief. Final results from the trial of Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine were even more encouraging than last week's initial data. They showed 95% effectiveness in preventing the disease. Of the 43,000 who participated and 170 who contracted the virus, just eight had received an active jab rather than a placebo. However, this vaccine, unlike other candidates, needs to be kept at minus 70 degrees Celsius. The companies will now apply for its approval in America and Europe. New York's mayor, Bill de Blasio, announced that America's largest public school system would shut its doors again. The city breached a 3% threshold for positive COVID tests, averaged over seven days. One million district students will move to remote learning. Most bars and restaurants remain open for the time being. More than 250,000 Americans have now died from COVID-19. A federal judge ordered the Trump administration to stop deporting migrant children who enter America unaccompanied. Earlier this year, the administration introduced a new process allowing border officials to deport such children with no way to challenge their removal. Between March and September, it deported at least 8,800 children in this way. The judge said they were likely to suffer irreparable harm. Australian special forces in Afghanistan unlawfully killed 39 civilians and prisoners over the course of 11 years, according to an internal inquiry presented by Australia's defence chief. Some people were executed in order to blood inexperienced soldiers, it was alleged. 19 soldiers are being investigated for murder and other war crimes. Australia promised to compensate victims' families. Police fired tear gas and rubber bullets at demonstrators in Kampala, the capital of Uganda. Protests broke out over the arrest of Bobby Wine, an opposition politician and musician who hopes to challenge the president in next year's election. Mr Wine has been arrested numerous times, most recently earlier this month, moments after he received nomination papers to run for the presidency. America's aviation regulator gave the green light for Boeing's 737 MAX aircraft to fly again 20 months after they were grounded around the world following two crashes that killed 346 people. It will take a little longer before the planes carry passengers, though. The Federal Aviation Administration must still approve new training programs for pilots. And RSA, the world's oldest insurer, agreed to be taken over by Intact and Trig, rivals from Canada and Denmark. The British firm dates its origins to the establishment of the Sunfire office by Charles Povey in 1706. Intact will pay £3 billion, $4 billion for RSA's British and Canadian operations. Trig will pay £4.2 billion for the rest. And now, here's today's agenda. Not hanging about American forces in Afghanistan. Donald Trump is in a hurry to get troops out of Afghanistan. In February, America promised to withdraw its forces by May next year if the Taliban cut ties with international terrorists and began a sincere dialogue with Afghanistan's government. Those talks started in Doha in September, but progress has been glacial. 
Despite this, the number of American troops in Afghanistan has fallen from 9,000 to 4,500 over the past year. On Tuesday, America's Defense Secretary announced a further reduction to 2,500 by the end of Mr. Trump's term. Instead of fostering dialogue, the Taliban have used the opportunity to strengthen their military position. They see the talks as a negotiation of the government's surrender, although this is far from guaranteed. The Afghan army is down but not out, and attacks on big cities could well bring America back into the war. But Mr Trump's precipitous withdrawal increases the likelihood of the Taliban returning to power. Stalemate or checkmate? Thai protests. Thailand's political temperature keeps rising. This week, pro-democracy protesters clashed with police and royalists in front of parliament. The student demonstrators tore down barriers, police used tear gas and water cannon, around 50 people were injured and a handful treated for gunshot wounds. Inside, MPs debated constitutional reforms, including, crucially, curbs on royal powers and the army's dominant role in politics, such as the students' demand. The government has a majority and, being royalist and pro-army, rejects changes to the charter that it wrote in 2017. Parliament looks likely to establish a face-saving committee that will fiddle with the constitution but keep the old guard in power. Ultra-royalists continue calling for a coup to protect the monarchy. High-living King Vajiralongkorn, with royal courts in Bangkok and Bavaria, remains constitutionally enthroned in a position of revered worship. But under his reign, the monarchy's hold on people's imagination is much reduced. The country is entering risky territory. Zoom and bust, the European Union's awkward call. Ostensibly, EU leaders will be chatting about their respective responses to COVID-19 during a virtual summit today. Lockdown measures have been reintroduced across Europe without the chaos of their initial implementation earlier this year, which led to queues at borders and unseemly rows over governments snatching protective equipment from each other. Though not on the agenda, a different issue will hang over today's proceedings. Viktor Orban, Hungary's strongman, has blocked the EU's first attempt to issue 750 billion euros, 891 billion dollars in collective debt, in order to bail out member countries' pandemic-battered economies. Mr Orban will have company. The Polish government joined his blockade. Both leaderships dislike plans to link payouts with members' respect for the rule of law. Slovenia, whose Prime Minister is a noisy admirer of Donald Trump, has expressed similar opposition. If the recovery plan is to go ahead, it will need approval from all 27 member states. COVID-19 is not the EU's only ailment. Saving the Lira, Erdogan's bitter pill Turkey's currency ought to bake Berat al-Bayrak a cake. In the weeks since his shock resignation as finance minister and the sacking of the central bank governor, the lira has soared by about 10% against the dollar, anticipating a return to monetary and fiscal discipline. Under Mr. Albayrak, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's son-in-law, it had lost 46% of its value. Turkish officials, including the new finance minister and the new head of the central bank, sound serious about saving the lira and bringing inflation into single digits. Even Mr Erdogan, who values growth at all costs, admits the economy needs to swallow a bitter pill, meaning an interest rate increase. Whether he means business will be clear later today when the central bank sets rates. 
Most analysts expect it to increase the benchmark rate, now 10.25%, by at least four percentage points. Anything less could spell more trouble for the lira. Unhappy, the elephant in the courtroom. Today, the New York Supreme Court begins to determine whether Happy, an elephant in the Bronx Zoo, is legally a person. If so, she'll have a fundamental right to liberty, to be exercised in this case by packing her trunk and moving to a sanctuary in Tennessee. The idea is less ludicrous than it sounds. Most legal systems divide things into property and persons, with the latter including corporations and even, in New Zealand, rivers. Happy is something of a cause célèbre for the Non-Human Rights Project, an animal rights group that has appointed itself her legal representatives. NHRP argues that Happy's solitude, she has been kept alone since 2006, is unjust because elephants are naturally sociable and she is a particularly intelligent, autonomous being. In 2005, she proved that she could recognise her reflection, becoming the first elephant known to do so. If Happy were granted a legal persona, she would pave the way for other animals. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Emma Lazarus, who died on this day in 1887. Poetry must be simple, sensuous, or impassioned. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.